Welcome. Good evening, everybody. Uh, Thirsty Thursday number 29, coming up on 30 of them. Wow. It's, um, that's that's quite an impressive feat, guys. Um, tonight, we, we've, we reached out to try and get some special guests, and um, they, they had other commitments that they were in, um, entitled or engaged in. So um, just the three of us can be talking shop, you know, sitting around the kitchen table in our each in our each uh, in our own little space. So um, kind of going over whatever we want to chat about and whatever we want to do. So cheers, gentlemen. It's good to see you guys. So um, I think one of the one of the first things maybe kind of kick this off and kind of see where it, it takes us. Um, Bobby and I were both uh, at the um, that Route 90 bridge um, uh, crash where the uh, child was ejected over into the bay, had a gentleman jump off the bridge to rescue her. There's what a total of, was it eight patients, Bobby, that were transported? Yeah. And there like five or six cars that were involved. So yeah. um, you, you were the shift commander that day uh, for the division. So you want to, I guess kind of give us like a little lead in. I've got some pictures up that we can, we can share um, as we're kind of going through this too, if you want, but yeah, um, yeah sure. Um, so, so on a, on a Sunday and uh, I was acting battalion chief for ocean city and uh, we got dispatched for a motor vehicle accident on our, our route 90 bridge. So our route 90 bridge is basically a, a, a two lane bridge um, that, that spans our bay. Uh, coming into coming into town, Midtown for us. Um, one of the problems we have is we have some serious accidents on there from time to time, and one of the issues uh, is that there's no access. So basically, it's a, there's, there's a couple of long spans, um, and this is the first span uh, outside of Ocean City where this occurred, and so you have trouble kind of getting people in and out, and then it stops all the traffic, and you got to get traffic routed around. So. Um, before I got there, an engine showed up, a medic unit, and uh, an assistant chief. The assistant chief uh, ended up assuming command. Uh, so I really, um, I really just uh, helped out with the triage and treatment, and and trying to get uh, ambulances coordinated uh, on the bridge while the bridge is all closed off. Um, the one uh, pickup truck was at, was uh, precariously sitting on a rail, so we had to use a uh, rescue and use the winch to kind of keep that uh, from going over the edge um that same pickup trucks where a, a small two-year-old was ejected uh, went into the bay and it's probably everyone's probably heard about uh there was a good samaritan that was also involved in the accident himself um that saw what was going on and jumped off of a i, I don't know it's 20 25 feet maybe even higher than that but off of a bridge in about four feet of water um and he um he actually knows the area he's a big boater in the area so he actually knew um, how dangerous it was and, and, and did it anyways and uh, got hold of the uh, infant and um, uh, cleared the infant's airway. Um, the infant started breathing, or I guess child, I could say, um, cleared the uh, child's airway and the child began to breathe again. And um, that was actually the most critical of all the patients we had. And fortunately, uh, everybody went home. So um, it was big, dramatic-looking wreck, but luckily nobody was injured real bad, and nobody was killed. Um, and that was that was basically my, uh, my my part of it was just helping triage everybody out, trying to control, um, uh, you know, figure out which uh, 
hospitals they would go to. Um, and that's, you know, pretty much it. So uh, we didn't have anybody trapped in any of the vehicles. Um, the the vehicle up on the guardrail, actually, they were able to self-extricate with the exception of the one that was ejected into the bay uh, themselves. And so uh, we didn't have a big entrapment problem. So that, that's basically um, what I saw. Everybody worked well together. Um, you know, the police really cleared the bridge really quickly for us. Um, you know, all the guys in the uh, on the fire side, the volunteer crew, everybody worked together to kind of to take care of things, and um, it, it went it went pretty well. Um, you know, uh, considering everything going on. So, uh, Ben, what what was your perspective of it? Yes, yeah, so I was I was assigned at Station Four that day, um, and listening to it, you know, obviously you hear the 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 first report or you hear the dispatch um, and hang on a second, we'll find a, get a better picture of the, uh, the actual incident that that first picture uh, from campus media. Uh, he, I believe he's a volunteer member of the ocean city fire department um, and does a lot of uh, like photography and that kind of stuff. Gets a lot of really great pictures on the ocean yeah. city area. So that was a- yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but just to kind of give you an idea of what Bobby was talking about with, you know, being isolated on this longer span of a bridge and, uh, currently my internet is moving at the speed of crawl. Um, so we were at station four here, the initial dispatch, and then you hear, uh, the assistant chief come on scene, um, advising that the, or I'm sorry, uh, it was a Worcester County fire marshal goes on scene advises you got a brit or the truck is um teetering on the the, the wall <clears throat> um so they, that's when they upgraded the assignment from an mvc with injuries to the to the rescue box um and i i apologize like i'm being i'm being distracted i need like some add meds maybe help <laughs> me tune into one spot or another um so we, we're, we're sitting at station four, we're the, the next closest medic unit. And at some, like at some point we're like, well, if they're not going to call for more medic units, we're just coming. Like we're going to go. Um, and I think shortly after we marked up to say we were responding, um, I, I guess Bobby, um, started calling for additional medic units. Um, and then we, we arrived on scene. Um, Bobby came over and, and said, Hey, like you guys, he sent me to go check on a patient, um, which I actually never made it to. Sorry, boss. Um, <laughs> you you pointed in a direction. I saw a, a person. I went and talked to them. Um, it actually happened to be the the daughter of the gentleman that jumped over the bridge. Um, and when she first said that, it was like, uh, or I go up and, ma'am, are, are you the driver of this vehicle? She says, no, I'm 13. I said, well, who's driving this vehicle? She says, my dad. Well, where's your dad? He jumped off the bridge. Uh, he did what? Like, it took me a second. Um, I was like, oh, oh, he jumped off the bridge. Gotcha. Um, obviously, very shaken up, very scared. Ended up putting her in uh, Bobby's command vehicle. Um, and then my other two partners had found a priority patient. Uh, and that's we ended up grabbing that patient and transporting to, to kind of clear out the area as best we could for more additional medic units. Um, so that was really kind of our thing. Like we were there briefly. Um, I wish I could say I did more, but I didn't. Um, 
Well, Ben, let me let me if you don't mind, let me chime in. Um, yeah. yeah, I'm all the way down here in South Florida, and when that incident occurred, I mean, and Ocean City is not a stranger to being in the national news. I mean, you will have those occasional calls or um, you know, high-profile events that occur you know, just because of our location and you know, how um, populated we are, uh, especially for a, a good part of the season. And you know, my guys know where I'm from, and I, you know, I brag about you all all the time. They probably get tired of hearing me talk about you guys. But at the same time, um, you know, I started to get these pictures. I'm like, oh, wow, that's cool. And um, the guys started asking me because they could see a little bit of the, the pictures that were on social media and what was in the background. I said, yeah, well, yeah, we've, we've run a lot of calls, a lot of interesting calls on that stretch of road, um, you know, in the years that I was there as well. And um, I see it's, it's a lot of dynamic incidents out there. I've run a lot of boating accidents. I've run, you know, a lot of things on the bridge, off the bridge, underneath the bridge, uh, involved with the bridge. And, yeah, I remember, um, you know, sending some of our guys, you know, one of my crews over um, overboard uh, when we had an incident that wasn't, it wasn't similar, but it was, uh, you know, MVC was somebody went over to uh, the rail. But to me, what's amazing, and, you know, thank goodness that um, that Good Samaritan knew the waters. And I know those waters exceptionally well. And, you know, just, you know, you could be six inches from a really snotty piece of debris, even though it's very shallow water on that side of the bridge. Um and you know, with with the currents and the tides or anything else, but there's some really really nasty debris down there. And for that guy, fortunately knowing the waterway, but to you know take that risk that he knew, um, you know it, it's one thing to jump overboard and say, hey, I, yeah, I had no idea what I was getting into and getting lucky. This guy knew, and um, so I got to give him a lot of props. But um, also, you know, just the amount of pride I have uh, from being able to work with people like you, know, Ben, you, and Bobby. And I didn't know Bobby was even in charge of the scene until later. But just knowing, you know, how that incident was going to be handled, um, you know, because there's a lot of experience base there. And, you know, we, we, we kind of run those crazy calls quite a bit. And, you know, I'll, I'll talk a little later on, you know, a few weeks back, um, you know, I had a call on my first due that was very reminiscent of the, some of the crap we run at Ocean City a lot. And I'm like, oh, my God, I thought I retired from this stuff. But, um, you know, it's just you know, very, very proud of you guys for what you're able to do with the resources you have. And you know, you're truly isolated. I mean, you're, you're a city of, especially in you know, four months for better than four months out of the year, second largest city in the state with between a quarter and a half million people of population. And you run a lot of crazy calls with very, I, I would say lean resources. I mean, we're fortunate in ocean city to have a lot of things, um, you know, the heavy rescues and some of the resources, but at the same time, we, we are an island, and it's not like you have you know, a mile down the road um, a, a big mutual aid contingent coming in with a lot of specialized resources. So, you know, kudos to you guys, and especially that uh, good Samaritan who took that literal leap of faith and, uh, and did the right thing. So I actually saw some of the footage from the water of a, uh, a boater who was coming up on the scene and, uh, you know, captured some of the, the uh, good Samaritan plucking that toddler out of the water. So, um, you know, I know sometimes, you know, back, back home, you guys call that Tuesday, but, uh, you know, job well done. So kudos all the way around guys. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. He, uh, there's no doubt in my mind, um, that if he didn't jump, uh, the, the kid doesn't survive. So he's kind of the epitome of firefighting in general, uh, you know, you yeah. take that risk 
for that specific gain of saving a life. And that's exactly what he did um, in seconds, in, in moments. Um, he, he literally had no time really to think about it as he taught, as he told us the story. He had no time to think about it. It just, it kind of happened. And, you know, initially he thought the baby, he thought the kid was okay. The kid was on his back. And when the kid rolled over, he realized the kid was in dire straits and he, and he just did it. So, um, you know, I hope, I hope that all of us will step up for that moment when it comes uh, to do the same thing. Uh, that's what we all train for. And that's what we get ready for. But here's a guy with no training. It's um, he, he did, he did what we would dream to do in our positions as firefighters. Well, Bobby, let me ask you this, because, you know, of course, some of the details are scant uh, when they get removed. Was the kid in a car seat, get ejected with the car seat intact? Was I mean, I, I don't know all the details, so I was just kind of curious how the kid wound up from inside the pasture compartment into the bed. Um, I, I don't know. They're still doing the investigation of how it happened. Uh, what I do know is that, that when he... When the Good Samaritan looked down, he saw the car seat floating, and then he saw the child appear a, a distance away from the car seat. So the first thing he saw was the car seat. Uh, then he saw the child away from the car seat. So from the time he saw him, the, the car seat was out of the vehicle, and and, and the child wasn't uh, attached to the car seat. Wow, and, that, and that's that's got to be pretty scary on its own because you know you can you can go through the whole rolodex of. Um, you know, possibilities of, you know, how that came to be. But you know, just have somebody who was that quickly thinking and, again, knowing the risks and that body of water and the debris and the, you know, um, pretty, I, I got to say, guys, uh, got my complete respect for, for doing that. But definitely, like you said, Bobby, um, if it weren't for that rapid action, then it would have been a completely different outcome. And, you know, that that yeah. guy's got the spirit of uh, fire rescue in his blood, man, no doubt. And, um, did, did he have any any background, any military, fire, police, anything? Uh, I don't think so. I don't think he did. Uh, he works at our local hospital. I, I do know that. And, um, you know, so, um, and actually, Dipsky, uh, I did, uh, I, I said, we'll give you an application if you went to the fire department. You're a perfect guy for us. But uh, he, he currently uh, declined. <laughs> but uh, we said he's still a part of our fire department forever, you know, for kind of what he did. Okay. From from uh, well yeah well it go, it goes to show that obviously he has more intelligence uh, than the than the rest of us uh, <laughs> d- despite his actions but um I was actually going to ask the same question Hickman just put up there because um you know I know the weather's been ups ups and downs but you know, typically this time of year the water temperature in the uh, in the Asswoman Bay and Cinnapuxton Bay up there are uh, not too balmy so what what was uh, you know he had the, the risk of uh, hypothermia too with that kid. Um, yeah, he, he said, I mean, it's multiple what, things. What do you, what do you think the, the rough water temperature was, Bob? Uh, maybe, maybe the upper fifties. Um, he, he said that when he hit the water, he didn't realize it was cold, um, until he looked how far away a boat was to come help out. And then he realized <laughs> it was cold. And so uh, where he ended up was about chest deep for him. And he's a pretty tall guy. And, um, he, um, he tried to hold the, the uh, kid out of the water as much as he possibly could. To, to try to keep that from happening to the kid and the, and the boat came along, but yeah, he said it was cold. <laughs> so, um, the interesting, the, the interesting thing from a command perspective was, um, it was such a dynamic scene. So, uh, when I was on my way there, all we knew was that there were two people in the water. Um, I assumed they were both ejected 
it wasn't until later on in the incident that I found out that he had jumped in. So I just assumed that two people were ejected in the water. But uh, it was a good Samaritan boat, so we literally had no contact with them. Um, kudos to the medic unit to pick them up because the medic unit was sent to the boat ramp because we knew the boat was going into the boat ramp. Uh, they had no idea it was coming, and blam, someone threw a kid at them. So, so they literally knew nothing about what was going on, and we didn't know anything. And unfortunately, uh, the good Samaritan's daughter, who was pretty distraught, to be honest, I thought she was actually really, really injured um, because she was so distraught about what was going on, understandably. Um, you know, she, we couldn't give her any information. So it wasn't like a Coast Guard boat or a natural resources boat or somebody we could communicate with with a radio. There was really no communication going on, so we, we really didn't know. And it was a, there was a lot of patience, too, so we had other things going on, so it wasn't a whole lot of time to kind of talk about things. We were moving from patient to patient and assessing people and doing all that stuff at the same time. But, um, wow, I mean, that, that poor 13-year-old yeah. girl sitting on that bridge, and, and dad jumped off. You know, funny, a funny story um, – so funny story that her is the, the his wife said was um, uh, she called he she was going to ready to call him because she heard about the bad accident he called she couldn't understand what he was saying because he was so upset or whatever and so she uh, she called her daughter and her daughter didn't break the ice she didn't say hi mom she just said dad jumped off the bridge <laughs> so then then um, then she was pretty distraught until she could figure out what's going on but it was hard to. to most communicate with the other units, um, you know, and it, was, and it was one of those evolving scenes where we really didn't know exactly who was who um, and, until things started getting sorted out. Yeah, Bob, I can imagine, too, because, you know, just thinking back on some different calls, uh, like you said, if you're if you're working with um, natural resources, police or Coast Guard or whomever, typically you have an ops channel or a, a patch that you can get a hold of them. But when you have just a good Samaritan boater and you don't know what landing zone they're going to go into and what their capabilities and limitations are, because, you know, you know, as well as I do, sometimes we've had those calls where a very well-intentioned boater will come in, but they don't know about, you know, the, the approach and doing a 360 and looking for other people in the water. Um, so fortunately, everything worked out the way that it did. But I can't imagine, um, you know, for that crew, especially that was the, the receiving crew. And I, I saw, um, you know, Dip had put in that it was windy that day, too. So you, you got the chop, you got the uh, tra- a trauma patient who's been ejected, and they're coming in, uh, you know, no information. So I, I just think it's a testament to the folks that, um, you know, I was fortunate to work with, but you all are still currently working with, that just take the very minimal information and say, hey, look, we're going we're gonna to make the best out of this and do our job. So, um, you know, I'm, I can't tell you again how proud I am uh, when people call up, which I don't know why they're calling me, just because I used to work there, you know, that doesn't give me any you know, credit. Well, you're, you're, you're still kind of a big deal up here, Trevor. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> my, my name and 50 cents will get you a cup of coffee. But but it was it was really cool when they're like, hey, and you know, of course, every now and then you get something in uh, the, the other ocean city, New Jersey. But I mean, my phone was blowing up. I'm like, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's okay, and I, I wasn't being nonchalant about it, but it's just okay. We've we've had crazy calls and some you know nutty stuff going on, but nevertheless, it's just that goes to show just a level of professionalism and you know where where you guys just take the job to say okay, yeah, you know, we're going to go with what we know and go with what we don't know and and do the job. And if you fortunately in this case it worked out exceptionally well, um, you know, and in those cases, and I don't know if you guys. Um, I don't know if this is more after the fact, but as the incident occurred, but typically those incidents are not only, um, 
multi-jurisdictional, but multi-agency where you're dealing with, um, you know, like I said, co- you know, Coast Guard, MNRP, fire department, um, state police, sheriff's office, Ocean City PD. So um, how, how did the communications go and, and the operations go uh, from a multi-agency standpoint? Um, <clears throat> so the Coast Guard got there relatively quickly. Um, but this had, had this was, was happening so quick. Uh, the Good Samaritan actually got there first, uh, and they had actually did a really good job. They actually cleared the waterway. Them and Nat, them and I believe Natural Resources was down there also. They actually cleared the waterway. Uh, unfortunately, we had a strong boat crew in town, but because we're cross trained, they were trans. Right before this call went out, they were transporting uh, a patient to Salisbury in the ambulance, and they weren't available. So we did we we didn't have our crew in town at the time. It's kind of that's a, that's a, the the struggles of staffing, you know. Uh, but you know, everyone kind of worked together. It was a little bit difficult in getting ambulances in there because they had to go up and we split the bridge, try to split the bridge in half, and have to have them turn around because the bridge is completely blocked. And so someone have to go east towards a coastal highway in town and go to hospitals that way, and they always have to come from the west. But um, you know, the the everybody was kind of there in place. Um, we just needed transport units and. Um, we don't, we're not staff real heavy, especially this time of year. And so we had nine, nine people were either out of town on a call or were on fire apparatus. So we lost like nine of our shift that weren't able to transport people. Um, so that just, we had to rely on other ambulances to come in volunteers and other, other departments and things. So a little bit slow for the ambulances coming in. Um, but that's kind of expected because like you said, we're kind of, we're a little bit remote where it takes a little bit of time for these guys to get in, um, the area yeah and, and something else i was thinking about too um you know one one instant that i had been on some years ago uh where we had people on the bridge in the water so forth and so on and we had some um some tide issues where we actually could not get a boat into the um our, our closest deep water harbor where we could actually land a boat wasn't in ocean city we'd have to go way far north or way far south just because of how filled in the bay is in that area and um you know they had to actually take our patients over to ocean pines you know that the um, municipality across the bay and then fog set in where you know, some of these folks weren't used to navigating with solely radar um and that was that was a challenge in itself so uh yeah i think it goes a lot to say too about sometimes like you said, Bob, we're all cross-trained. We pr- try to be the jack of all trades, and you know sometimes our our boat crew is also our divers, and our divers are also our hazmat folks, and our hazmat folks are also our trench people. And you can only spread them so thin. Um, and it's nice to have them, but if they're tied up on the you know, handling for the first emergency, it is what it is. But um, you know, working with those other agencies, it really comes into play. And you know, even though. I know up there we work on an island. It's always been important that we don't think like an island because we need those extra resources coming in from those other places, um, no matter what time frame it is, because it's it's crucial, like you said, if that if that midtown bridge is blocked, then you know you're you got people coming in either to North Bridge or to South Bridge at the far ends of the city, or um, you know it's going to be quite a while. So uh, you know. How are things? And I'm you know, not I'm not getting into like a uh, operations discussion so much, but you know, how is how has it been as far as trying to keep up um, any kind of I don't want to say cross training, but 
uh, making sure that we have that that mutual aid relationships and and training with the uh, you know our time is has that been really cut back because of COVID or is that just something that's kind of waned or is it still going strong? Um, yeah, we we had some restrictions during the COVID time, uh, but as you know, most all of our guys are pretty much vaccinated, and so we've kind of those things have opened back up again. So uh, mutual aid is strong. Uh, one thing that we're doing here now that we hadn't done much in the past, Trevor, is um, we're actually I'm, I'm, we're doing a firefighter one class. So we shared one with Salisbury where they had, uh, gosh, I don't know, 30 some people or something like that. So we split it and we're doing it in town, which is kind of cool because, um, you know, with the exception of going to the burn buildings, we would do it all in town. So there are people from Berlin or people from Ocean Pines or people in his class. And I think. So we're taking some good steps, I think, towards um, having better, which I guess you call it interoperability, for lack of a better term. But, um, you know, I think, you know, it's 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 um, everyone is affected with staffing issues. So I think that everyone recognizes the fact that we got to help each other out a little bit more. And I think that's that's across the nation in the fire service. I think for most actually, for well, 99 percent of the fire service is running through the same thing. So. Uh, we all end up working together. My, my local small town I live in here in Millville, Delaware, um, you know, we, we rely heavily on our surrounding departments anymore, and they us. And we just all kind of, to be honest with you, we all kind of work together a lot, a lot more than we used to. Uh, I remember, you remember back in the 80s, Trevor, nobody called anybody for anything. <laughs> it, it wasn't going to happen. You took care of your own fires, and that was kind of it. I mean, even the large metropolitan areas, you know, the Baltimore's and stuff are all working together with their neighboring agencies. So that's, I guess, if there's any kind of silver lining in the staffing issues that we have is that fire departments learning to work together a little bit better. And and that's a good thing in itself. And, you know, Ben, I don't know how things are um, up there in Wicomico County. Because you have the you uh, Ocean City, Worcester County and Sussex. You have you know, the same thing, but with Wicomico County also. And you know, to Bobby's point, not to try to you know, date ourselves, but you know, I remember when if the fire truck was a different color, it couldn't come in town. And no matter what, which was just you know, the epitome of ignorance at that time. And fortunately, we got past that. But um, you know, at the same time, you know, we always thought in straight lines that if it wasn't up Route 1 or out Route 50 or out Route 90, we really didn't look at the capabilities and limitations of our neighbors to say, okay, what can they offer? And you know, what can we offer also? Cause we have to help each other. And, you know, I, I look at that same dynamic where I am um, is advanced as some things are, some things are, you know, a little bit uh, retrograde in, in that respect. Also like Bobby's talking about where, you know, Oh, well, you know, we're not going to call this department or that. And uh, unfortunately some of that still does exist uh, nationwide. But it's very, very unfortunate because, you know, when when you have the opportunity to make a stop on a fire versus, you know, confining it to the zip code of origin or, you know, you have the ability to do what's right for, you know, an uh, MCI or a patient or anything else. But your, you know, your pride gets in the way. And believe me, I think you should have tons of departmental pride, municipal pride, everything else. But part of that pride is making sure that you're serving the people in that community appropriately and getting them the resources. 
sources, whether it's a say this, whether it's a yellow fire truck, a red fire truck, a green, whatever the case is. But because you're making those decisions and you know your resources and you know what the capabilities and limitations are out there, because you're going to get confronted with that call that you just can't handle. I don't care how big of a department you are, how well staffed you are. You're going to have limitations. You're going to have that day that, like you said, Bobby, you know, all, all your all your special ops gurus are in the back of an ambulance transporting to a trauma center 32 miles away. And yes, they're not on site. Their their value has been lost because they're they're actually part of a unit. You're not you don't have them in that glass case and you break them in case of emergency to bring them out. That's not how a lot of us operate. I mean, some departments are fortunate to have, be able to have that, but we don't. So you know, with that being said, I think it's um, like you all are saying, it's really important to cultivate those relationships. But how um you know from from a Salisbury slash Wicomico standpoint, Ben, um, you know, how how's mutual aid been with um you know, is there has there been anything that's kind of hobbled you guys with COVID or are you guys kind of, uh, you know, maintaining? Yeah, I think, um, we're definitely, we're definitely better than what we used to be. Um, I think COVID kind of, um, I think it kind of slowed the process of, of us like really branching out, um, both as the, the city of Salisbury and the and Wacomico County, the, the fire service. Um, but I think, I think, there's been a lot of, you know, really eye-opening of like, holy cow! Like we, like everybody understands that the volunteer fire service is struggling for members, struggling to make calls, um, and it's it's not like you. They, I think we we are understanding that it's not just, well, it'll be okay. We'll get out eventually. Like it, they're starting to understand. Like we we're starting to to see the importance of getting out quickly and providing that service quickly. Um, we, we actually started, I don't want to say just started. It's been a little while now, um, a working fire dispatch that, um, I know, and our, our deputy chief, uh, chief Darren Scott worked on for a while, um, and had a little bit of pushback, but once it got through, I think it's been a pretty well received around the County. Uh, so that way, you know, our shift commander goes on scene or, or, I think this, the county stations that are using it now, um, that command unit goes on scene and they say, give me the work and fire dispatch that you automatically get an extra two engines and another truck. Um, and that's, that's on top of, uh, we get an additional truck and an additional engine on any, uh, structure fire dispatch right off the bat. So we're, we're we went from a three station response to a four station response on our structure fires and now we we incorporated this working fire dispatch, um, so we're we're automatically bringing more people into the city. Um, and the more that you get to work with people, the more time that you spend together, the better off that you guys are, and you, you start to build that working relationship. And it, it opens those doors to have those conversations. They're like, oh hey, um, you guys have this. We really need that. Can we? And we have this. You know, and, and working on figuring all that out to make sure that. You know, everybody's getting the coverage um, and the services that they need and, and that their that their community needs. Um, I know another thing that we're like really branching out on is um, our hazmat. Um, so we we've recently in the past probably six, eight, ten months ran a lot of hazmats um, to the west. So up into Dorchester and Caroline County 
Um, and their next due hazmat company that we have coming in is coming from Anne Arundel. So um, there's been a number of times that our hazmat crews are getting on scene and, and shortly thereafter or around the same time, you know, Anne Arundel's arriving with their hazmat team and, and working with those guys. And that's been, um, I mean, let's talk about, you know, you, your hazmat techs are in the back of a, a medic unit transporting to a specialty center. And now you have that call. So, um, you know, I, I think, I think that's something that we're really as a whole in the fire service, like we're, we're recognizing that everybody likes to go to fires. Everybody likes to go to cut jobs. And if you call me, I'm going to call you. And it's, it's no longer, this is my sandbox and that everybody like, Hey, we need help. Come help us. Let's work together. Let's make this right. Um, I think Rathel just posted something. Chris Rathel just posted something the other day about um, Ocean Pines, Berlin, Ocean City, all getting together at Cropper's Junkyard and, and doing like heavy machinery extrication. Like that's great stuff, you know, like getting those crews together. Because, again, you have a tractor trailer into another tractor trailer or a dump truck or something like that. Like it's not going to be one rescue. It's not going to be Ocean Pines. It's not going to be Salisbury. Like you're going to need multiple rescue companies. You're going to need multiple stations. You're going to need a lot of manpower for that incident. So why not train like that? So I think that's something we're, again, we're seeing like grow throughout the region. And Ben, I, I agree with you. One of the things I just want to kind of throw in here a little bit is, you know, a lot of times we, we, we might get our, you know, knickers in a bunch because, oh, we don't want that other department beating us in this, that, and it, you know, it's it's a little bit of misplaced misplaced pride. I think you should have all the pride in the world, but what you do instead of keeping those other folks out because they're serving a purpose, improve your own response time. You improve your own turnout time. Figure out better ways to get there. I can tell you, um, we're we're a very oddball situation where I work. Is our firefighters' living quarters and their apparatus bay are not contiguous, and I'm I'm working on that. Another story for another time, but it the lays their response by up to 42 with no uncertain terms from the middle of their day room to the apparatus bay. It's 118 steps. It takes 42 seconds by the time they get out. And this is without rain or anything else. Get out, run across, hit the keypad to get in the apparatus bay, put the front door up, bunk out, get in the apparatus and roll out. There's no reason in the world. And I'm, I'm trying to work that. That's, that's something on my end that I'm trying to work out with my powers that be. But the point being is, you know, that doesn't mean that we're going to keep everybody else out. Hey, if somebody beats the sin, then that's that's fodder for me to say, well, you know what? My guys would have been there because they're getting their asses up and they're going as fast as they can, but there's certain barriers in their way that are beyond their control, and you know, they are as fast as they can possibly be, and, and they work on that. I mean, they have a lot of pride in their response times, which is wonderful, but you know, those are those are the types of things I think that you know, we can work on um, you know, individually, and like you said, Ben, too, is – uh, and this goes back a little bit to the old school of things where, you know, a lot of firefighters used to come from the trades. They used to be carpenters, welders, craftsmen, plumbers. Uh, and with that, you don't know who might be coming in on that next piece. I mean, you know, we love to think that we have all the tools in our toolbox. But, you know, I look at Bobby McGee and say, OK, yeah, he's a smart guy. He's been around a while. But how many people know that, you know, he's a, you know, he's very skilled at welding. He can do a lot of cutting. He knows a lot about metal work. How many people know that? How many people would know that, you know, this, the senior man on my old shift was a you know, lifelong carpenter and all I had to do was show him a picture of a raker shore and he could build 20 of them 
in, you know, in minutes, which would take me, you know, a lot longer. So you might look at those skills too and say, you know, not only just the mutual aid coming in uh, and not what's coming to you, but also who's coming to you. You start to learn those shifts. If you have, um, if you have congruent shifts that say, okay, a shift in, um, county lines up with a shift in ocean city which i don't i don't know if they do or how they how they do anymore but you you can start getting those resource lists together and say hey man today's a really good day if we have something screwy we have all this talent here because people have a lot of off-duty talents that you know sometimes we just don't take good advantage of but that's where you know, a lot of the uh, heavy rescue stuff came from a lot of the squad stuff came from a lot of specialty truck stuff came from I we, we were doing stuff a few weeks ago, just engine company based because we had people with skill sets, not because we were you know wonderful and that well equipped and that well staffed. We just had the right people at the right time that we we're like, hey, let's let's tap into these resources. So um, you know, if you guys could just kind of chat about that just for a second, um, as far as looking at the individual resources, not only the collective, but the individual in your own department and also on the opposite shifts, as well as maybe some of the mutual aid. Yeah, <laughs> that's a that's a big one. It's a good one, though. It's a good thing to talk about, Travis. Um, you know, one of the things to think about is if 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 New York City has 30,000 paramedics working and I go visit New York City and I have that unfortunate heart attack, uh, I'm only going to see two. So so when you talk about unit efficiency, um, you know, sometimes they say it's always a weak link in the chain that breaks the, breaks the chain. Um, when you talk about efficiency, when you're talking about individual units, you know, when you think about the eight-year-old in flannel pajamas, um, you know, and you say, okay, well, it should take you a minute to put your gear on, but it takes you a minute and 30 seconds. Or let's go back even further than that. Let's go back to dispatch. It should take you a, a minute to process a call. And it takes you a couple minutes, you know. So we lose a minute right there. Um, and then how long does it take to process and dispatch the call? It should take... 30 seconds to process and dispatch the call, but it takes a minute. So we lose 30 more seconds. And then we should be getting suited out in a minute. And it takes us a couple of minutes or three minutes or four minutes or what. You, you can see that for for somebody trapped in a building on fire or trapped in a car or whatever it may be, that, that um, and I, Trevor, you, you so eloquently say it, um, it's not our time. You know, you're we're working on their time. You know, that's literally, you know, kind of where it is. I, I do a, a firefighter one class and I'll tell them, you know, you don't have to be the fastest person on the crew, but you can never be the slowest. Because whoever's the slowest on the crew directly affects the victims. You know, and that's how people, you know, individuals should think about it. And then units should think the same way. If you're getting beat in to calls on a regular basis, rethink how you have your gear laid out. You know, how you have your response laid out, you know, all those types of things, whatever, whatever it takes. But, um, you know, I think I think the staffing doesn't fix unit inefficiencies. That's that's my personal opinion about it. You can have a you can have 16000 people in your fire department. But if that first crew is not on their game. Then the victim has to pay for that. And and that's that's I think that's the, the gist you were getting at. Was that that's what you're talking about, Trevor? It, it is, Bobby, and, uh, you know, I was going to say, you know, kind of preach on, but my thing is, you know, you, you've got to get away from the uh, rectal cranial inversion of things because sometimes the tendency of management, and yes, you know, I'll, I'll vilify them to some degree, 
is instead of fixing the root cause, they go after the immediate optic. And I'll give you a prime example um, you know, without getting into gory details. But um, several years ago, had a you know, we would run you know, obviously we run a lot of calls in uh, multi-story, multi-family, multi-unit dwellings in Ocean City, and the uh, ladder truck came up. You know, obviously understaffed, and the person who was running the ladder truck needed to join the crew um, and go upstairs. Well, we had some issues going on, and the ladder couldn't be set like it needed to be set. Per and this is why I want to kind of get in a little bit to between priority-based operations and SOP-driven operations. So instead of saying, wow, you know what? We really don't have enough people trained adequately to run this ladder truck that we need and that we've told the public that we need and that we told the mayor and, and city council that we need to run on these multi-story buildings. We said, well, you know what? We're not going to run ladder trucks anymore on multi-story buildings because we don't have the people to run them unless we really, really need it. Well, okay, stop, time out. You told this. You told this building owner that they needed to have this high-tech ass alarm system to have early detect departments, so we can bring all the bells and whistles and get there as soon as possible to protect. So it's it's on the running card, but we, the fire department, we can't fulfill our obligation. And part of it might be because of staffing, funding, budget, all that kind of happy horse crap. But the bottom line is, so instead of fighting the the good fight and saying, hold on a minute we promised that this truck would be there it needs to be there it's it's due to be there there's rationale for it to be there but instead of doing that oh no no uh, let's let's put all our eggs in the basket over here well hold on that's a staffing issue that's a training issue you know, that that's a deployment issue that's an sop issue so you know, get off your happy ass you know, don't worry about the paper cuts let's start looking at operations and putting it into play. And yes, sometimes, but at the same time, that's where you make some of the officials tell you no. And when they say, oh, well, we, we can't afford this, we can't afford that. Maybe so. You tell me what service you want cut to the community. Which is it? You hired me as your subject matter expert to, you know, whether I'm good or, good or bad at my job, you hired me to tell you what needs to be done to protect this community the most efficiently and the most economically. You tell me what service you don't want to provide. I'm all ears, please. And that that's kind of my problem with it is we have, and I'll get off my soapbox, but sometimes we have people in administration who will assume what their elected officials were, are going to tell them or what they're going to think. And sometimes they know, sometimes they know what it's going to be. But in, instead of actually, you know, having a, well, either having a pair of testicles or ovaries, depending on, you know, which side of the fence you are on, they, you know, they'll, they'll just automatically start cutting things. So you, you've got to look at the service that we're there to provide. If you're in a multi-story building, multi-family occupancy, and you have a ladder truck, and you think a ladder truck is a good thing to go on those types of buildings, especially when you have calls in them, and then you start taking away the ability for that truck to respond because of your own you know, ineptitude or staffing issues, you patience. You can't sit there and pull back and, and say, oh, we well, just won't run a truck anymore. Well, damn, isn't that convenient? Well, you know what? I'm sorry, ma'am. I don't have enough firefighters and paramedics to respond to your heart attack today. So guess what? Um, if the mailman gets there roughly around the time that your husband needs CPR, hopefully he took a, a you know American Red Cross class and can help you. That's the same mentality. So I'm going to get off my soapbox on that. But, you know, Bobby, that's where I agree with you on, on this, on these types of, well, I agree with you quite often. But um, 
yeah, that, that's where I kind of look and say, you know, we, we have to step up and look at the big picture and you know, start start putting the right th- the right processes into play. Guess what? Sometimes it's us. Sometimes we're dropping the ball. Sometimes we need to look at ways to make ourselves more efficient, ourselves better, and ourselves more proactive. So with that being said, um, I'm going to actually defer now to my emotional support beverage and let you guys talk for a moment. <laughs> Trevor, just to kind of go along with you, I, I posted Wade's comment. At the end of the day, it's all lies. We're our own enemy. Um, so you got it's more than just the three of us that agree with you. There's there's a couple of us out there. So. Yeah. Um, I, so here's the thing about staffing. I, and I agree with you, Trevor. I, I know where you're coming from. So SEAL Team 6 took down the most dangerous terrorist ever known to the world, in my opinion. Um, their staffing was 15. So um, SEAL Team 6 took down. So we got to, I mean, I, I always, I delve into staffing and I, and I, I like everyone else, talk about it some. But I've learned in, in teaching and instruction and things like that, that the amount of people is not as important as the quality of people. We do need more people, but we need to start off with a base of quality people to add people to. Because if you got, uh, if you've got, 20 people that are operating at 60% of their abilities or 40% of their abilities. If you add 20 more people, I would argue it's going to make it worse. Um, you know, I think, I think that, that that's why we have, that's why we have instructional academies. That's why we have FDIC. That's why we have firehouse expo. That's why we have all these uh, FDTN, all these different things out here to get the individual better. And then to get the team better, the crew better, to get the unit better, to get the station better, to get the fire department better, the first alarm response better. But I think I think that that I'll be honest with you. I think a lot of times we use staffing as a crutch. Every time we don't do a good job, we go, well, you know what? It's just because we don't have enough people. And when we all know a really good engine company and one really good truck company can do a lot of good in a very quick amount of time. And so I think, I think it's just, it, it's my sense of all this is that, you know, you, we, we have, we have, we have to individually elevate ourselves if we want to make the team better. Um, because if you're riding on the coattails of other people, you're actually in the whole scheme of things, you're dragging that team down. You're not, they're not pulling you along. You're, you're adding dead weight to them. And I think everyone needs to think about that. And that being said, every single one of us is going to make mistakes. We're all human. We're all going to have those calls where we don't do well. Um, but the difference is, are you going to go back and tell yourself honestly, I didn't do well. I made these mistakes. And do you work on making a difference as far as the next time I run something like that, I won't make that same mistake again. I think that's the whole key to this whole thing is, we're never going to have the staffing that we want. And I listen, the, the dirt, the, the dirty, the, uh, what do you call it? The secret, the big secret out there with these large staff departments is um, not all of that staff is actively working on a scene. You know, there's, there's good guys, there's bad guys, there's good girls and bad girls. There's all that going on. And there are people that are going to step up in the fire service and kind of take care of business. 
but wouldn't it be great if we took those people in the middle and elevated them from 60% to 80% of their capabilities? You know, that, that that's how I, that's how I kind of look at it. Mostly because I do teaching. So in doing teaching, teaching doesn't affect staffing at all. Um, you know, but teaching is about individuals and how they work together as crews and stuff like that. So there's my soapbox, Trevor. <laughs> well, no, and Bobby, you know, you, you and I have had this conversation many times and you know, I agree with you. Um, one of the things, and just just like when you know, we went through our different staffing changes before, what we had is what we had. And yes, we were going to try to fight to change and get our staffing and get what, but you sometimes you got to figure out how to fight with the army you have and not with the army that you want. And yes, we're going to fight to get that army that we want. And that that's all well and good. But the reality is that that's tomorrow, that's next month, that's next budget cycle, whatever the case is. What do we have today and what are we going to do with it? And uh, credit, you know, when we had three band crews, guess what? We worked on how, how are we going to best deploy a deuce and a half in a high rise with three people? How are we going to best deploy a, a deuce and a half in a high rise with less than that if we have less than that? What if somebody calls out sick? What if we don't? What if we're understaffed? And that's where, like, again, Bobby, your take was let's address this through training and fight with the Army that we have and do you know, let's do the maximum we possibly can and do it as safely as we can and as effectively as we can with what we have now, not with what we want later. And let's fight for what we want later, but let's get, you know, we, we got to be on, you know, we got to be that, that cognizant of, of what's going on. And, you know, I, I again, I, I, I'll fly that flag as, as long as I possibly can is to say, you know, yes, more staffing is always good. But when you have and again, I'm not poking anybody in the eye. But you, sometimes you'll have a major incident, and this goes back to your comment about having 30,000 paramedics in, in a city and you only see two. You might have a major incident, and nobody's coming out of their office who is a qualified, on paper at least, a qualified firefighter, qualified officer, this, that, or the other. Some will. And you know, honestly, there's there's some that you know, they have to do their jobs. But when you have people who can fill different functions and different roles – who will stay in the administrative role and kind of, I don't want to say hide in that, but every now and then they will. Um, and you'll have a working incident and you need all hands on deck. Well, guess what? If if you're not confident in, in your skills, then that's about the time that you say, you know what? I'm no longer a firefighter. I'm an administrator. Hey, there's nothing wrong with that. But embrace it. But don't, you know, don't, don't hold that position out for somebody else or, or use that to say, Oh, well, we have X amount of administrative staff that are uh, available to respond at any given time. So we don't need any more people on the street. That's great. But guess what? When that call comes out, your happy ass comes out of the office. You take off the shiny shoes and put on the uh, on the doll shoes and you go to work. So you know, you can't have it both ways. If, if you're not willing to go out in the field and get dirty, don't don't count it both ways. And and we do that a lot. I mean, just like I said before, with if you have somebody who's a special operations person, usually they're multifaceted and that's a wonderful thing, but you can only spread them so thin. So you, you've got to find that happy medium and that balance for you know the calls you're running versus the calls you may run, your special operations, your callbacks. So you know, there, there's a balance in that, but we can't just look at things on a spreadsheet and, and say, oh, look at our staffing. This is wonderful. And sometimes you have to articulate that as well to your elected officials who control your budget to say, okay, well, yes, I might have 20 people that on paper are firefighter paramedics, but let's break this down and be very honest with it. 
And you know, that's where we got to be honest with ourselves. And, and Bobby, I think you and uh, Ben had said that before. Sometimes we just have to do a gut check. And as much as we want to be all things to all people, we have to be honest about what our capabilities and limitations are within our own departments. Yeah, that was that was something I was going to talk about is, you know, we talk about don't be that slowest person. Like you don't have to be the fastest, but don't be the slowest. Um, you know, if, if you're going to say that you're going to respond on calls as an administrative person, then respond on calls. Like a lot of, a lot of the stuff in elevating, I'm sorry, the last, the last thing we've talked about was elevating yourself, you know, from that 60 to 80% is that these people have to take a look in internally. They have to look in the mirror and say, you know, what, what am I doing and how can I be better? You know, I can take all the classes in the world, but if at the end of the day, I don't give a shit, then that doesn't do us any good. You know, if I'm, if I'm the one walking to the fire engine for the reported building fire, it doesn't matter what class I have fire firefighter 4,000, like it doesn't do us any good. You know, I have, you have to be motivated. You have to want to be there. You have to want to do the job and you have to want to do it well for it to, for it to be effective. And if you don't, and if you can't understand that, if it doesn't, if it's not, if you're over it, which it like, if you're burnt out, that's fine. But then it's time to look for something else. You know, like you can't, you can't continue to say that you're going to provide a service and not provide that service to the best of your ability. And, and I'll be completely honest. You know, when I left Ocean City the first time, I was struggling with myself trying to maintain my credentials as an athletic trainer, maintain my credentials as a paramedic and trying to keep current on, um, you know, everything, the, the medications, the skills, the everything that it takes to be a good paramedic. And it got to the point where it's like, you know, if, if I go on this call, like I, I'm not going to kill him. I'm not going to let him die, but I, I'm not the provider that I would want showing up for me. I'm not the provider that I would want showing up for my family, you know? So I, I stepped away, you know? And, and when I came back, you know, I'm, I'm honored to be able to come back to Ocean City and work there again. I said, look, guys, I, I like, I need some field training time. Like it's been two years since I wrote a medic unit. The, the shift I worked with, um, with on, on Bobby shift, when we had that wreck, we had five, I think we had five calls, the first three or four were all priority calls. And I looked at, I looked at my partner and he was like, I don't want to work with you again. Like we're, we're done. <laughs> so, um, but, but like, that's what, that's what I needed to get back into it, to start to, to do it again. So it, it takes, it takes taking classes, training, getting better, but you also have to want to do that. And if you don't have that, then let the door, don't let the door hit you with a good Lord split you. Right. I do think, I think it's not fair. I mean, I do think individually we need to elevate our step, our game. Uh, but I also think from just our, our time teaching, and Trevor, you can chime in on this too. Um, I, I think in my time teaching and then also the big uh, extensive study by the IFF about crew sizes, I really do believe that if, if, if the politicians want the best bang for their buck, a, a four-person engine, is much more, much, much more efficient than a three-person engine. And a five-person truck, I think, should be the minimum for trucks because of all the tasks and jobs that they have to do. And, uh, you know, I think I think that, um, I, you know, I, I stand behind that I think that if you're, 
and I run on three-person crews, but I think if you're on a three-person crew, there are certain things that can't get done. And, uh, you know, I, I really think that, you know, I, I totally support that politicians and governments should start thinking about going back to that four-person staffing. And, Ben, you brought up a great point that we've had lots of conversations about. The fire service is slowly assimilated to an all-hazards department, including EMS. And I think it's time to do some soul searching about whether or not having everybody cross-trained is the best way to handle this. I think it's not. I think that you have people that are, are EMS-oriented that are trying to ride fire apparatus, maybe for better schedules or less calls. Um, I think you have people on ambulances, their hearts in firefighting, and they're not giving their, their best game to their patients. Um, you know, and, and I think it's time for the fire service to go soul-searching and governments in general to go soul searching to say, you know, maybe we need to split the service up a little bit and allow people to concentrate on being an engine guy, a truck girl, uh, a, a paramedic, you know, or an advanced care person. Because I, I do think we're chasing too many, too many rings. I think we're just going in too many different directions. And uh, I, I know that, that I struggle. And the question is, do you want to have people that can do 20 different things okay? Or do you have on split those people up and have twenty people to do things really well? And I, I think, I think we went through a long period of combining them together because of shrinking budgets and shrinking staffing and all those types of things. But I think it's time to rethink. You know, now we see the results of that, and I think, um, at least in my opinion, the results of that is maybe not always the best service to the citizens. And and Bobby, uh, one of the things, and I want to be clear about this too, is. You know, we all we all say that you should be able to do the job. If you can't do the job, find something. You know, that's a pretty easy statement to make, and we all we all kind of feel that way. And at, at the same time, I don't think that we do a good enough job of attrition planning. And here's what I mean by that: you might have somebody who served exceptionally well for you know 20, 22, 23 years, whatever the case is, and you might be in that kind of oddball size department that you're too big to be small, you're too small to be big. So I can't take this guy who served miraculously for this many years, but now he's got bad back, bad shoulders, bad knees, this, that, and the other. He's done his time, but now he's become a risk to himself and his crew and to the people that he's serving. But you want to see him through to retirement. And you don't want to throw this guy, you know, out with you know, the baby out with the bathwater because he's served. He's done, you know, he or she has done a phenomenal job and all time and sometimes I think that we're very willing to discard some of these people and look some of them just they've coasted their entire career and they've not done a whole lot let's be very honest about that but there's other people that were like wow you know, I I can't put you in inspection and prevention division for your last 18 months because I I don't have an opening uh, I can't put you in um, you know services division I can't put you down at the maintenance shop because I just so what do we do with that person who has served admirably and, and put their time in, but has a little bit of time to go? You know, so that, that's the other side of the spectrum. I mean, we have some of the people that, you know, they might be a 25-year member and haven't done crap in 24. We know those people. We can name them. But we also have the other folks that have, have done a great job, but their, you know, their mind and their body is wearing out. And we just kind of need to get them through. So... That's where I think uh, you know, we need you know, attrition and succession planning and look to say, okay, 
when that happens, but also be equitable in the way that we do that because we can't say, hey, you know, Ben, you're my buddy. Um, you've done a great job for 23 years. I'm going to hook you up. Um, you know, Bobby, you pissed me off um, 20 years ago and I haven't forgotten it yet. You've done a great job too, but I'm not going to try to help you out. So, you know, we need to look for some roles and functions in our department. And believe me, there's enough stuff on a daily basis. I mean, you know, even if even if you've got to, you know, take from an operational to maybe a um, non-operational position, which is tough too, because that's another budgetary issue on the other side. But, you know, let's look at some of those things also. So that, you know, how do we retain some of the experience that's getting ready to walk out the door? Um, you know, is there something that we can do to, you know, cultivate that and extract as much of that as we can before we lose that person to retirement, but also let's take care of the people who have served us and our communities well. Yeah, I, I think that I think the answer to that stuff, Trevor, is I think there was a reason why firefighters um, had twenty-year retirements, and I think you know we had we had a we had a bad economy, and I mean I understand why things went the way they went. I understand why the beat counter said what they wanted, um, but what happens is you know I have like four years and six months left before I can retire. If it was a twenty-year retirement, I'd, I'd already be able to end it. So by having those early retirements, we have to sell. The, um, we have to sell the uh, the value of 20-year retirements to the actual cities that are hiring these people because not only if something happens to me and I get injured, okay, I got to try to make it to that finish line of 25 years. And some fire departments are 30 years, you know, and I have to make it to that finish line to get my maximum benefit. Well, you know, what you have to sell is that the 20-year retirement gives you an out. So that guy that has the bad shoulder, the guy that has the bad back can retire at a full retirement. I mean, because the bottom line is we max out um, at 15 years ish here. So I'm maxed out. So if you give me a 20 year retirement, you're going to bring in a person at half my rate to kind of fill that back in. So there's there's an economic benefit even to the cities and counties and stuff to 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 reduce those retirements. Because this job can be very hard on your body um, and very hard on your back, your shoulder, your neck, everything else, uh, even cardiac. We have lots of cardiac problems with, with a lot of our guys. So I think the answer to that, Trevor, is for us to look at, again, going back to a shorter retirement time to give you a window if you can't do it anymore. And then I think the other side of that is we'll bring people back that have retired part-time to fill holes. Why not bring back someone like you? as a per diem instructor so so you know when you if you have somebody come out instead of just filling holes with them that you can't fill with full-time people you know bring them back with their talents without having to risk their backs and their shoulders all the time you know and that's that's a load of no risk on the city or the counties or whoever um, because you're just coming in as a per diem employee you're basically a part-time employee but i think those are great points trevor and i think once again, we're seeing the results of extending these retirements out. We're leaving these retirements out for what the other employees do. Well, the other employees in the cities and towns are they're great people, you know, but, you know, working at a desk is not exactly going to blow your shoulder out or blow your back out. We're firefighting and even EMS. They're both uh, and police, I guess you could say, for that matter, are pretty brutal on your body and uh, can do a lot to you. So that's that's my thought about yeah. that. Well, and, 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 and Alan and uh, Dip bring up some good points too, because you know, and we we try that to some degree to say, okay, well, look, let's let's take that person and pretty much assign them to the driver operator spot. Well, 
the way we train is that the driver operator of the uh, engine should be one of the busy these people in the fire ground they should be thrown in the bed they so you know, we say one thing and then we try to compensate on another end and uh like dip saying too you know, th this is an economic thing where we have to work through to say yeah uh 20 year retirement but it has to be it has to be palatable for the person to leave and not say oh yeah you can leave in 20 years but you don't make crap when you leave and you can't sustain yourself and now you're a greeter at walmart for the next 15 years so right. you know it, it it's a it's a combination of things but you know, make make it tangible. I know there are some departments uh, in the U.S. who have done that. They've done a 20 and out and they've made it very palatable to say, hey, look, you know, we're going to make it worth your while to leave. You know, you're not going to be a rich person, but you're not going to be you know, eating right tuna fish underneath the bridge somewhere um, you know, to survive. You, we'll, we'll make this worth your while. So there is a balance point to that. I agree with these guys wholeheartedly. But, you know, something we have to kind of think about, especially from the uh, you know, middle to upper management end of things too, is, you know, how, how do we take care of some of these folks and, and what do we push for to say, let's make sure that, you know, not only can this person get to retirement because they've served and served the, you know, this city, this community, this town, whatever it is well, but also you, you want them to be able to be functional and enjoy their retirement time. So, you know, those are some things too, to say, let's get you out in enough time where you can actually enjoy your retirement to go on to a second career and you know, not be not be hobbled up or handicapped because of you know, the additional time that we've required you to stay on the job, abusing your mind and your body. I just I just want to throw this in here that we talked about you know the, those folks that are getting close to their retirement or you know maybe someone has already retired uh, and working on their second career maybe at a desk job and they're currently in a sling tonight. So maybe that desk job isn't as safe. Is what people say, but hey, um, you know what? Just because I have a desk doesn't mean I work at my desk all the time. All right, <laughs> it's a pretty big. I, paper I didn't say. I'll <laughs> be sure as fire. Safety third. <laughs> Cheers, buddy. Yeah, buddy. Here again, my emotional support beverage. <laughs> You're, you're wearing you're wearing me out, Ben. Hey, well, um, one we're coming up on an hour, so um, oh, do you see this? Hang on a second. Gray hair competition. Bobby, Holy, guy. Holy crap! <laughs> see that that's that's the difference. My my shit's too proud to turn gray. It's going to fall out first. <laughs> um. But like I said, one we're coming up on an hour, uh, and two one of the one of the things that we've added to the Strike the Box page is a page for Hank. Um, so if you don't know who Hank is, Hank is one of the newest family members in the Steedman household. Um, I don't know if you guys if you can spin that camera around. If Hank's out there, you can show him off. Um, nah, he's. I think he's laying inside right now. I can't say I blame him. Um, but go go check out the the the. Um, website for Hank's page. He's also got an Instagram and Facebook page. Uh, it's Hank's Hugs and Love, I believe, is what it's called. Bobby, are you eating? Are you getting a dog treat? <laughs> um, I call Hank my discount Dalmatian. <laughs> uh, but go definitely check out Hank. Uh, he's a cool pup. 
uh, has lots of positivity. So check him out if you're if you're having a down day. Check him out, and he'll be it'll help turn it around for you. So he's a he's a cool cool thing cool thing going on. Um, but with that said, let's let's go ahead and wrap this up. Um, I'd say Bobby, what, give us your final thoughts, but you pieced out on us. So Trevor, you want to take it away? Yeah, um, if if you will mind, Ben, if you could put out the silver alert in Sussex County for oh, there he yeah. is, he's back. Cancel oh. silver alert. Cancel silver alert. Bobby's back. Um, <laughs> now, uh, thank you all for tuning in tonight. Um, this has been a great kind of tailboard slash kitchen table conversation. We have some great guests lined up, and um, again, it's like herding cats with everything going on. And um, you know, some places COVID restrictions are lessening, and some places are increasing. But um, we, yeah, we don't want to give too much away, but we have some really, really great guests coming up. But it was nice to be able to catch up with you guys tonight and uh, just kind of BS around the kitchen table, so to speak, and um, you know, see some you know, great friends and familiar faces on here. Uh, a couple things to keep in mind, just you know, want everybody to you know, try to be safe as we're coming, uh, hopefully, out of this pandemic BS um, you know, at, at long last. But also, we're getting into hurricane season, and I know that's just as much of a threat um, up there in the mid-Atlantic. Uh, we, we've been through a lot of them together up there, brothers, and you know, certainly down here. So, um, yeah, as, as the season rolls on, you know, we have other things that we have to do. So, you know, stay safe. Uh, keep on doing what you're doing. And this is a great uh, you know, boost of energy for me when I get to sit there, sit down here and talk to you guys and uh, – you know, and, and again, see some of the folks that are that are tuning in um, tonight. And I know some other folks, you know, tune in later on. But it's just, you know, that that shot of energy and redemption in the fire service that, uh, you know, we, we kind of think like we want to do the right thing for the right reason. Uh, you know, serve the communities that we're serving and to be the best we can in our in our respective industries. And, you know, check our egos and attitudes at the door, but keep keep each other accountable also. So. Um, yeah, Ben, Bobby, thank you guys so much for being on tonight. And um, I'm going to go back to my emotional support beverage. Oh, and yes, hold on. I got yes, I. For those of you who are asking, yes, I am in a sling. So um, it's pretty pretty tragic. I'm kind of torn up about it. I had a I, I had a stack of budget paperwork and it collapsed on my desk. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but no, I, I, I did hurt my, my wrist and my shoulder, and it was not a uh, collapse of budget paperwork on my desk, d- despite what Ben says. So, Ben, love you, but kiss my butt. CIP project. <laughs> Bobby, you want to give us your final thoughts? Um, yeah, you know, I think about a year ago to today, um, I'm, I'm tired today. Um, I've, I've just had a crazy month of teaching uh firefighting so from you know four acquired structure burns um three days at fdt fdtn uh doing a firefighter one class and um it's it's a it's a it's a beautiful tired uh a year ago we couldn't do any of that so you know what um they're lifting covid restrictions all over the country uh we've not been training like we should because of good reason but it's time for us to go back out and pull some lines and throw some ladders. And so my big take home points tonight are, I agree that uh, I, I believe that we should have four person engines and five person trucks and fire trucks should absolutely be red. So if you don't have red, there's a problem. So thanks everybody. Bobby, what, what are your thoughts on nose versus no nose on your fire truck? Nose versus no nose. Yeah. The conventional versus custom cabs. 
You can't see from inside the building, Ben. <laughs> Good, point. Good point. Can't can't see it from the medic unit either. <laughs> so wrapping it up. Thanks, guys. Thanks for everybody for joining us. It was a great conversation going on in the comment section. Um, so as you're watching, if you go back and watch it, um, kind of scroll through and see uh, some of the comments that we had. They are, again, great comments for tonight's conversation. Um, this will get posted tomorrow, tomorrow morning about 10 a.m. Uh, on all of our podcast websites or outlets or whatever you call it. Um, yeah, I just kind of went blank. Like like Trevor said, <laughs> I'm not even drinking tonight. This is all this is all natural. Sorry, guys. Um, like <laughs> the youngest guy who's got Alzheimer's. Yeah. <laughs> Where am I? Who are you? Um, like Trevor had said, stay safe. Uh, there's a lot of stuff that's changing. Um, so just kind of take care of yourself. Take care of your family. Take care of your brothers and sisters. Like Bobby said, four-person engines, five-person ladder trucks. They should all be red. Um, get out and practice. Like he said, he's, he's also been teaching a lot um, the last month or so, pulling hand lines, throwing ladders. What have you done recently? What have you done today? What have you done this past week to make yourself better? Um, I had the, the pleasure of going down last night uh, with Bobby. Uh, as he was teaching his fire one class, we brought a, a fire engine down for him. Uh, to use for their class and, and was helping one of our new driver operators that's in the process that did a phenomenal job, I thought. Um, so um, to go do something to help make yourself better, don't be that last person. Um, you, again, you don't have to be the first, but don't be the last. So cheers. Everybody take it easy. Have a great night, and we will see you soon.